deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge. He is my shield and the heart of my salvation. He is my shield and the heart of my salvation. He is my shield and the heart of my salvation. He's my high tower. He's my high tower. I will call on the name of the Lord. Who is worthy to be praised? I will call on the name of the Lord. Who is worthy to be praised? I will call worthy to be praised. I will call on the name of the Lord. Who is worthy to be praised? I will call on the name of the Lord. Who is worthy to be praised? I will. I will call on the name of the Lord. Who is? Who is worthy to be praised?
Hallelujah. Amen. I will call on the name of the Lord. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. We're going to go before the Lord in prayer tonight. Amen. All right. We'll see what happens. Brother Scarlett gave me the signal. Move it up. We'll see what happens. Amen. Good to be in the house of the Lord. God is good. Have you ever uh, thought about, as a child of God, that you had some missed opportunities? I've talked about having opportunities. Last week I talked about um, someone knocking on my door, and it was just a pleasure just to talk to them about the Lord. Um, but I'm always challenging myself and pushing myself. And um, sometimes I think back, I said, ah, missed opportunity here, missed opportunity there, missed opportunity there. And basically what I'm saying is um, just opportunities that we have that we could have mentioned something about the Lord and we didn't. Um, and I bring that up just from the standpoint of trying to get you to... Um, be aware of um, how we can continue to change because it's hard to continue to change. Uh, a lot of times we plateau and we, we know that we need to change a little bit more, grow a little bit deeper. Uh, we know it, but somehow it just, we can't get ourselves moving. To change. And I, I guess I will say this to you. Challenge yourself from this point of view. Ask yourself every day the day is over. Or before the day gets started, you pray and ask God to help you. And when the day is over, you ask yourself, did I have any missed opportunities? Meaning, did I, did I miss an opportunity to uh, share Christ with someone? And I think that might be the way we can um, find ourselves growing even after our exposure to Christ and even after uh, being saved for a while um, to still grow and mature and, and still be engaged in the things of God. I think you have to challenge yourself and say, did I share Christ with anybody today? And if we can challenge ourselves every day to say, did I share Christ with anyone? I think that that will help us to grow in Christ. Is the opportunities that the Lord gives us, do we take advantage of those opportunities? Which is whatever, anytime we encounter people, did we take that opportunity to share Christ? Um, it could be, yes, in the way you live. It could be, yes, what you say, and as well as what they have observed from you. So we just need to challenge ourselves to say, how much have I taken the opportunities that I get to share Christ with those that I encounter? Um, because the truth is, if we're going to grow, we're going to have to challenge ourselves that way. If not, 
you're going to stay in the same. I just get concerned for all of us in all walks of life, no matter what it is. But we're talking about Christ here, so that's probably the most important. But that we will get to a place where we can't go any further. We can't grow anymore. Even though we know it, we think it, we want it, somehow it's just not happening. And so I think that happened to a lot of us. Um, I told you last week about um, exercise, that that's one of the things where you can exercise a little bit and you'll see results. I'm seeing good results and then after a while, no results, no results, no results. And you're like, what in the world is going on? But what it's calling for now is for something else to change for you to see more results. And I'm challenging you to challenge yourself because I do for myself to when you get to that place in life in anything. Let's challenge ourselves to say, how do we get past this part to keep growing? I think the older we get, the more we're supposed to grow. <laughs> I think the older we get, the more we're supposed to grow. Why do you say that, preacher? Because I think that we're more informed. We are more equipped to grow. A lot of times you don't grow because you're just ignorant of the fact. But when you get older, I would assume you're getting a little bit wiser, especially if you're in the kingdom of God. And so you will be able to grow because you have the insight. You have the knowledge, and so you can take it and put it into practice so you can grow. So I challenge you tonight to let this Bible study night challenge you to grow. So I hope that when we're done tonight with our lesson, you can take it with you and apply it to your life that it will cause you to grow. Because that's what we want. We want you to grow God wants you to grow because God has great plans for you. But in his plans for you, what, whatever he's doing now is not what he wants to continue to do. He wants to increase. He wants to increase. He wants to take you higher. He wants to take you further. He wants to take you deeper. So it's never where you are that that's just enough. It's more to it. The way how you start out is normally not the way you finish. Not in Christ anyway. So let's pray and ask God tonight to help us that whatever we hear from heaven, from the word of God, it will certainly change our lives and cause us to grow. And we will challenge ourselves to take all the opportunity that Christ gives us to share with others because that will help us to grow. Father, in your precious name, the precious name of Jesus, oh God. You are our God, and we are grateful once again to be gathered together in your name, under your banner. Oh God, we humble ourselves before you tonight, and we ask, oh God, that you have the preeminence. We repent of our sins, Lord God, for we have sinned and come short of your glory. Father, if we are to be honest and stand before you tonight to begin to call our sins out, we'll be here for a while. But 
we're going to just say, Lord, we have sinned and come short of your glory. And Lord, we have not done what you have commanded us to do. And we have not fully lived the way you have ordained our life to be. And so tonight, Lord God, we ask that you be gracious again and that you will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, we ask that you will wash us that we may be clean and that God tonight we can stand before you with clean hands and pure hearts. Oh God, that you will justify us, Lord God, in a way where, Lord, our prayers will be heard and responded by you in heaven, Lord. I pray tonight, Father, that you will command us in the way you will have us to go and that you'll reveal to us the things you want us to know. God, we're not, oh God, we're not satisfied. We, we know there's more for us in Christ. We know that you've called us up to a higher height and a, a deeper walk with you, Lord God. And so tonight we're asking that you show us, open our eyes to see how we can accomplish this, this, this coming up to a higher height and, and, and going in a deeper walk with you. We want to know how we can get to that place because we need you to help us, Almighty God, for, Lord, we have been plateaued in our life in Christ for so long, oh God. And, Lord, we're, we know there that we need to come up a little higher. We know that we need to go a little deeper. We know we need to allow change by the power of your Spirit to take place in our lives. And so, Lord, we ask tonight that you help us, that we can to say, yes, Lord, we will be changed. We will, oh God, allow you to do what you want to do in our lives. We humble ourselves tonight and we say, not our will, but your will be done. We ask, almighty God, that you will anoint me to speak as your oracle and allow us to hear in a way we have not heard the word of God. Lord, there are words that will be spoken here tonight that we have heard before, but tonight, Lord, let us hear it differently, that it will have impact, that it will bring about change in our heart, in our life, and it will begin to reveal you in us and through us. Lord, bless us tonight as we've gathered together in your name. And oh God, help us. I pray that the presence of the Lord will overshadow us and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. Have your way, Lord Jesus. Will you use us as your instruments? Will you use us as your oracle? Will you use us Oh God, to shine the light of Christ in our dark world. Will you use us, oh God, as the salt as we are, Lord God, that your will will be done tonight, Lord. I pray for revelation. I pray, Almighty God, for the Word of God to truly transform us. In the name of Jesus Christ, oh God, have your way. In the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, we love you and we honor you. You, and we praise you, O oh God, for you alone are God. You are our King. It is you that made us and not we ourselves. Oh, glory be to God. Have your way tonight, O oh great God, and let your will be done as we give you honor and praise. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me.
We praise you and we adore you. In Jesus' name we pray tonight. Hear us, O oh God. Hear us from heaven, Lord. Hear us from heaven, Lord. And let it be according to thy will. In the name of Jesus. Oh, thank you, Lord. Oh, thank you, Jesus. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Amen, 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 amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. Thank you for praying with me. Amen. You may be seated. We welcome all of you to Bible study. Listen, if Bible study don't change you, you're in trouble. Bible study will have greater impact in you, on you than Sunday mornings. <laughs> Amen. I don't remember Jesus being like a Pentecostal preacher. I appreciate the Pentecostal preachers. I think they're the greatest preachers walking the earth. But I don't remember Jesus preaching like us Pentecostal preachers. I remember him teaching. <laughs> I remember him teaching. And that's what undergirded his disciples and all that followed him. The wonderful teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you allow this teaching to affect your life, I believe you too can experience what the apostles and the disciples of Christ experience. Amen. So for the past few weeks, we talked about back to the beginnings, and we focus a lot on the altar, sacrifice. Uh, we even finished up last week about having a spirit of sacrifice. And so we're going to move on tonight, kind of in the same vein, uh, but a little bit different. Tonight I'm going to share something with you in John, St. John chapter 3. St. John's chapter 3. I will share with you tonight. Uh, we're going to go to John chapter 3, verse number 25. Verse number 25. Again, it's good to see all of you. Those of you that have joined us virtually, great to have you. Mm -hmm. Hallelujah. I can feel you virtually. The couple of times when we um, had issues with our Wi-Fi, I was just, just not happy. It was not a good thing. Because I, I, I connect with those of you that, have, that are uh, with us virtually and when we didn't have you on because you couldn't get on, I was not happy. And so I'm glad that we can connect virtually and we can connect here in person. We are blessed. Um, still talking to folks that they're not able to meet in person. And, and even some um, that are meeting virtually. Um, I think there's a difference when you... Uh, kind of record um, your teaching, preaching, and then post it on social media. I think it's a little bit different than when you are being joined live virtually. I think it's different anyway. 
I mean, I probably preach differently. So let me just say it that way. It's, it's a different when I, it's a difference when I feel like I'm ministering. And even when you're virtually, if I know you're connected virtually, I just, I just feel like we're still together. But just to prepare and teach and record it and then post it, I don't know. I, I haven't done that, but I just don't feel like that would be the same. So it's, it's a wonderful privilege and opportunity for us to be able to meet in person and be able to share and worship the Lord together and, um, and also to meet, to get together virtually in the Lord. It's a wonderful thing. So I'm grateful to God for that. Amen. John chapter 3, verse number 25. The word of the Lord says, Then there arose a question between some of John's disciples. Keyword, John's disciples. I thought Jesus alone had disciples. No, this says John disciples. And what was the question about between John disciples? It was about the Jews about purifying basically there was a question that was asked or a subject that was being discussed about purifying baptism baptism verse 26 and they came unto john and said unto him rabbi he that was with thee beyond jordan to whom thou bearest witness behold some, where am I? Behold, the same baptize it, and all men come to him. Verse 27, John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. That's a very lofty statement there in verse 27. This is John the Baptist speaking to his disciples, his followers. And um, as they went to him to ask him about Jesus, uh, he said to them, whatever he's doing, it must come from heaven because there's nothing that we can receive except it come from heaven. So all of us that preaches, teaches, you know, live out this word, it's because it's a word that comes from heaven. So a man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. Verse 28, ye yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. He that had the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This, my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. Verse number 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. That's what I want to talk to you about tonight. He must increase, but I must decrease he must increase but i must decrease now that's pretty powerful statement but the question is how do we do that and so we'll try to flesh that out tonight and talk about how does he increase and how do we decrease some of John the Baptist's followers heard the news that more people were now going to Jesus to be baptized. They didn't like it. You got to understand when you've been with someone that is a teacher to you, rabbi, 
and he's been teaching you and leading you and instructing you and everything you know kind of, you know, started with that person. And now here comes someone that's that that is taking the place of that person. Uh, You're skeptical. They're not looking at this as this is Jesus. So what's the big deal? That's not the way it's looked up, looked upon. It's, It's just this is a man. And 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 John the Baptist has been our guy. He's been our rabbi. And so uh, they weren't happy with people going to Jesus. So they found John and said, Rabbi, he was with you beyond Jordan to whom you have testified. Behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. John knew this was precisely what was supposed to happen. So John knew what was going on, but his followers didn't understand. John had never doubted his calling or misunderstood what his message was supposed to be. He came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That light was Jesus Christ. So the great John the Baptist, the Bible says, since the time of John, there was none like him and there will never be another like John the Baptist. Now, we're not going to get into the reasons why John is so great, but the bottom line is, John is considered great in scriptures. But if you break it down to what John actually was, John was a forerunner of Jesus Christ. He was the one who prepared the heart and mind of people of what Jesus was coming behind him to do. John was the one who would bear witness, who would say, this is the Christ. This is the Messiah. Does that sound familiar? I mean, John is great and all. And I got to believe what the word of God says. But I believe that we're supposed to kind of do what John did. Maybe not exactly what John did. But I believe that we're supposed to follow that lead of John of bearing witness of who the Messiah is. Uh John made it clear that he himself was not the Messiah but had only come as a forerunner to herald the Messiah's coming to prepare the people to receive him. And so as the forerunner, John obviously knew Jesus was more important than he was and had the place of preeminence. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who is preferred before me for he was before me. That's John, the book of John chapter 1, 29, 30. But here is what I want to say to you. Ask yourself tonight, do I really know Jesus? I know at this juncture of your Christian walk, your exposure to the word of God, I know at this point in time, you're going to feel like, I believe I know Jesus. 
And maybe you do. But I would say ask yourself that because for some reason when I read scriptures, I feel like those we read about who knew Jesus, who had an encounter with Jesus, somehow that just oozed out of them that they know Jesus. Somehow that that their encounter with Jesus caused them to just be able to just begin to speak about Jesus. And so we got to ask us, do I really know Jesus? Because when John saw Jesus, nobody else knew. Nobody else understood this was the Messiah. But here is John because he was fulfilling his purpose in God. And as soon as he saw the Messiah, nobody had to tell him. He knew right away. There he is. There he is. And so for you and I, if we really truly know him if 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 really we had an experience to say i know him and if you are filled with his spirit i you're supposed to know him but my question is can you really prove that you know him can we prove that we know jesus that's something that i need to mark down someplace and keep asking yourself can i prove that I know him. The way how John just responded, behold, the Lamb of God who take away the sins of the world. The way how John just expressed that, that was just like he knew it and he just had to speak it and he just had to confirm it and it just had to come out of him. And now everybody's paying attention. Well, some of his disciples apparently hadn't gotten the point even though they had heard the message before when it became obvious that John's ministry was being eclipsed, they still were disturbed. They revered John. But when they expressed their concern about the news they had received, John was not disturbed. Quite to the contrary. John replied, therefore this Joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. If you look at verse 29, John is telling you toward the end of verse 29, John tells you, Woo, now that he's here, my joy is fulfilled because now I know that what I'm doing, I'm supposed to do. Because here he is. You, you, you will find yourself living for God and walking with God and question, am I really doing what I'm supposed to do here? Am, am I on the right track? And so you'll keep going, but in your mind, you're questioning, am I on the right track? Am I doing the right thing? Am I fulfilling the will of God? And then all of a sudden, God will just kind of reveal something to you. He will speak something to you and you will say, oh, okay, because he will just reaffirm what he has told you. He will reaffirm what he has shown you. And so you will know, yeah, yeah, I'm on the right track. (laughs) I don't know if you ever looked in the scriptures with Noah, but when God told Noah what to do about building the ark and getting things together so, you know, they can be prepared so when the rain came, they would be fine. God didn't speak to Noah every day. You know, sometimes we, we, we read that text and we think that God was just constantly talking to Noah. No, God spoke to Noah and for many years again, Noah never heard from God. And so we got to realize that God will speak to us at times 
and reveal his words to us and he will give us instruction and we may not hear from God for a long time and we just have to keep going, keep going, keep going. And then one day out of the blues, unexpectedly, unexpectedly, God will just show up and just say, blah, 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 blah. And you're like, oh, good. Man, I wasn't sure if I was still on the right track. Uh huh. He must increase, but I must decrease. John's joy was fulfilled because his mission was fulfilled. He had done God's will, and now that more people were finally going to Jesus instead of going to him, it was time for him to fade off the scene so the spotlight could be on Jesus alone. John was satisfied in submitting to God's will and plan for his life. What his disciples thought he should do or be was not his concern. Be careful when you start fulfilling the expectation of others and not what God had called you to do. Because John was the forerunner, People thought John probably was supposed to be something more than what he was being. But John knew what he was called to do. And John never allowed all of the the talks to, to get him to start doing more than what he knew that he was called to do. And so we need to take cue from from John to say, you know what? When God opened my eyes to understand what I should be doing, I am just going to do that. And even if it doesn't seem significant to me or to others, doesn't matter. I am just going to keep doing that until God shows me something different. It's just like now how we're just desperate and saying, God, why don't you open the door for us and and, and get us our own church building? And we want to go into our own place. And it's just tough right now, Lord. What about that? And all we can do is stay where he originally placed us until he moves us. It will become uncomfortable when you're following God's will and he has been allowing you to follow his will for a long time. And he hasn't said anything to change your mind or change any direction. And and it will feel like, oh, my goodness, can something change? And you will be challenged to start doing your own thing. But I'm here to tell you, keep on doing what God first told you until he tells you something different. Mama Allen, keep on doing what God had been told you a long time ago or until he tell you something else. Uh-huh. John's concern was only doing precisely what God had called him to do. When it became clear that it was time for the focus to shift from him to Jesus, he readily stepped aside and did not try to cling to power and position. From the moment his ministry began until it ended, he sought to lift up Jesus and put him first. We need to lift up Jesus and put him first. We, of course, are not called to fulfill God's will exactly the same way that John did, but the same attitude that characterized John can and should characterize our life. He must increase, but I must decrease. We are to focus more on Jesus and less 
on ourselves. I'm getting tight now. We are to focus more on Jesus and less on ourselves. His influence on the way we live our lives should increase while our ways must decrease. We are to seek to fulfill God's will and put him first in our life. Mm -hmm. So what does it look like for him to increase in your life and for you to decrease? What does that look like? I'll tell you what it looked like. He increasing and you decreasing most fundamentally means that he is truly functioning as the Lord of your life. He increasing and you decreasing fundamentally means he is truly functioning as the Lord of your life. All right. Take it a little further. The most basic Christian confession of faith about Jesus is that he is Lord. Yes. Jesus is Lord. Yes. Okay. A Lord, though, let's talk about it because we like to say he is Lord. But let's see what a Lord is. A Lord is a ruler. If he's Lord of your life, it means he's what? No, 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 no. Oh, no. If he's Lord of your life, it means what? No, 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 no. You said it right, but you didn't complete it. If he's Lord of your life, he's what? Okay. That's what you see. See, you can't. You all couldn't even say it. You was quick to say he's Lord. But when I asked you if he's Lord of your life, what is he? You said ruler. And you stop right there. Because it's uncomfortable and it's hard to say Jesus Christ is my Lord, meaning he is the ruler of my life. We have a hard time saying that because we know that if, if we want to be honest with ourselves, he's not really ruler of my life. I, we like to say he's Lord, but we're not saying he's ruler of our life. So if he's Lord, it means he's ruler. If he's Lord, it means he's a king. So he's king of your life. If he's ruler, it means he's the master, meaning master of your life. If he's ruler, it means he's sovereign, meaning he has all sovereignty over your life. If he's ruler, it means he is one with power and authority, which means he has power and authority and rules your life. How many times you've heard people say, I want to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because he's ruler of my life. Wipe my face on that one. But if we're going to talk about he must increase and I must decrease, that's kind of where we're going with that. If he is 
going to increase and I decrease, it means he's got more power than me. (laughs) It means he has more authority than me. (laughs) Jesus Christ, who is God in flesh. And as Lord, he is the divine savior and king with absolute power and authority. He rules over the heaven and the earth and exercising his lordship in love. If we will realize, see, we struggle with saying he's Lord over our life. He's ruler over our life. And I think, again, I'm still saying to you, do you really know him? Remind me of that video, that man that talk about, do you know him? Brother Scarlett, we try to find that video. We never found it. Do you know him? Oh, man, I love that video. Woo. Um, but if he is Lord of your life, He's ruler of your life. We get afraid of saying he's ruler of our life because it means that he has more control than you, which means you can't do what you want to do, but you got to let him do what he wants to do. But I got to tell you why we don't do that is we got to ask ourselves, do we know him? Because if we know him, we know he is going to be Lord over your life, ruler over your life in love. Let me tell you how backwards we are. Don't even realize it. We're not love. We don't really know love. God is love. But we trust ourselves to rule our life better than we trust him to rule our life. Just slow it down and think about that. God is love and he will reign and rule over the earth and the heaven, but he does it in love. He is love. Whatever we are, it's not love. We might understand a little bit of love, but we're not love. So whatever we do, it can't really be done in real love. And he is love. So whatever lordship he's showing over our life, he is doing it out of pure love because that's who he is, which means he will not hurt you. You will hurt you before God will ever hurt you. You will hurt you before God will ever hurt you. But we're not trusting him to be Lord of our lives. Ruler. Most people live in rebellion against him. His followers, us that are here tonight, us that are joining virtually, his followers, however, should live in submission to him. Mm -hmm. Quiet. If Jesus is truly the Lord of our lives, we will seek to live like he is Lord of our life. There is no value in confessing him to be something when we do not live like he is. So we're confessing that he's Lord, but we're not living like he's Lord of our life. We don't mind confessing that Jesus is Lord. We're just not confessing that he's Lord over our life. But we're confessing that Jesus is Lord. 
But he ain't Lord over this life. But you're not saying that. But by you not saying it, you're saying it. God is not pleased just because we have affirmed that something is true about him. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So he is truth. He knows. So whether we want to affirm or not affirm, it doesn't change anything about him. Whether we want to affirm or not, it doesn't change anything about him. So great that you will affirm that he is Lord. But it do you no good to affirm that he's Lord because he knows that. Now, when you affirm that he's Lord over your life, now something happens. Uh Uh-huh. Yes, when you affirm that Jesus Christ is Lord over your life, something happens. Things begin to happen in your life. But as long as you're just confessing that he is Lord, doesn't do anything in your life. Often people act as if there is something meritorious before God in simply acknowledging something to be true about him. Even the demons believe certain theology about God. What, the, what it says in James 2 and 19, the, de, the, the demons believe that there's one God and they tremble. So us believing something doesn't really matter. Us saying we believe that he's Lord doesn't matter. Us believe, us saying we believe that he is, he is sovereign doesn't matter. Us believe, saying that, oh, we believe that he is one God doesn't matter. Until you allow him to do whatever he has to do in your life, none of it really matters. God is pleased when we live out that affirmation. Jesus asked, why do you call me Lord? When you look, look at uh, Luke chapter 6, verse 46 and 47. I'm going to read it in the New King James Version. Jesus asked, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? That's his question. Why are you calling me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? Then he goes on to reveal how someone who truly believes that he is Lord will live. He or she comes to me and hears my sayings. And does them. That's how you can prove he's Lord of your life. When you do what he says, not what, not just say what words you can say. Our motivation for obeying Jesus as Lord is supposed to be love. Again, do we really know him? Because when we know him, going back to Sunday's message, we will know God is love. And when you know God is love, that man, love, then what are we worrying about? Why are we worried about him being Lord of our life when we can say God is love if we investigate his words? The love we have received from God in Christ should cause us to love him In response, remember I told you Sunday that God shows us motivational love and we have responsive love. So he loves us and the way how he loves us, it should motivate us to respond to him. Uh Uh-huh. Loving Christ involves our affection for him, of course, and it involves our praise and worship too. 
But our love for him is not simply our feelings or saying wonderful things about him. Mm -hmm. I can pray prayers that sound real good. Me talking about me now. I can pray prayers. Oh, Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Thou art from everlasting to everlasting. Thou sit high and look down low. Heaven is your throne and earth is your footstool. You are the one which is, which was and which is to come. The only wise God, the only true and living redeemer, my king. And I can go on and on and on. And that's all great. And that's all true. But until I make that personal, it doesn't mean anything. Until we make it personal, it does not mean a thing. Not surprisingly, therefore, we never read of Jesus saying, if you love me, then feel a certain way about me or say certain things about me. He never said that. Instead, what does he say? John 14 and 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. He didn't say if you love me, just feel a certain way. If you love me. Just, 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 just tell me certain nice things. That's not what he says. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And he, verse 21, John 14, verse 21. And he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. God, you're cutting us tonight. So, Lord, if we don't keep your commandments, we don't love you. In contrast to those who love and obey him, Jesus says he this is this is John 14, 24. Jesus says he who does not love me does not keep my words. So if you find yourself just keep living your way and doing your thing and not keeping his words. You don't love him. Not says me. Not says anyone, but says him. He says, if you do not love me, you're not keeping my words. Consistent obedience, apparently like nothing else, reveals the presence of genuine love. Uh huh. You can't tell God, I can't tell God that I love him, but I'm doing whatever I want and I'm just rebelling against his word. I'm just lying to myself, just spewing out crazy stuff. Only the heart that obeys truly loves. Say that again. Only the heart that obeys truly loves. Only the heart that truly loves will continue to obey. Uh huh. So does that mean if we sin and fail to obey the Lord, we do not love the Lord at all? Got to be real. Ask yourself the question. The answer to that is no. There are just times when our insecurities, our weaknesses and our emotions get the best 
of us. However, if we repent, turn from those behaviors and put our focus back on Jesus and obey his words, then we can prove we love him. So it's about continuation. So if we say we love him, but we never obey him, then clearly we don't love him. If we say we love him and we usually obey him, but ever so often, ever so often, ever so often, not every day, but ever so often, I find myself disobeying him. Once I realize I'm disobeying him, I'm supposed to repent of my sins. I'm supposed to turn to him and says, God, I realize I just did wrong in your sight. I just disobeyed you. Forgive me for my sin. I turn away from that sin and I put my focus back on you and I will obey you. Go to Psalms. No, you don't have to go tonight, but go to Psalms 51 and read about God's man, his man that he loved dearly, that he says is a man after his own heart. That man sinned, but go read Psalms 51. It Told you how that man got back on track. So sinning don't mean that you don't love him. But if you just continue to live your life in a sinful state and not obey him, then you don't love him. Make sense? You know what I say? Condemnation and conviction is two different things. Condemnation comes from the devil. Conviction comes from God. Conviction is when God convicts you to see that you're doing wrong, but he's only convicting you so you can do right. So when God convicts you, he makes a way for you to do right. When the devil brings condemnation on you, you feel like you have no hope and you can never fix it. So when you, when you, when you feel like something is in your heart, in your mind, that's making you feel like, it can't get right. You can never fix it. You can't turn it around. That is condemnation. And that came from Satan. That didn't come from God. So if you have anything in your heart, anything in your life, if you're struggling with a situation, if you're struggling in a circumstance and you just think that this will never get better, this will never be right. This, this, this is just something I can't overcome. I can't be victorious in. It is from the devil. It is not from God because with God, all things are possible. And whatever I preach to you, if I preach it and never tell you about the opportunity to overcome it, then I'm not right in what I'm preaching. But I will always preach to you and tell you about the things that are wrong that God says that are wrong, but I will come right behind it and tell you how to correct it. Because that's what God is all about. God will tell us what is wrong, but he will come right behind and say, but here is how you can fix it. Keep telling you about my man Cain, right? Cain offered up the wrong, wrong uh, offering unto the Lord. And the Lord told him that he offered up the wrong offering, but he didn't leave him there. The Lord said, Cain, you offered up the wrong thing to me. I'm not going to accept that. And that sounds harsh, but that's our God trying to get us straight. He said, that's not what I want from you. That's not what I asked you to offer up. So I tell you what, offer up what I asked you to offer up and we'll be good. That's God all day, every day until he returned. 
That's him all day, every day. He is not trying to leave you in a state where you can't get out. He is not trying to leave you in a state where you can't overcome or you can't be victorious. If you think that you're in a situation that you can never overcome or be victorious in, that's the devil working in your heart and your mind. Because God will never leave you in a place. Remember the rich young ruler. I can go on and on and on. He had life going on. And he wanted to know how can he inherit eternal life. Jesus didn't say, well, you got too many riches so you'll never be able to get eternal life. That's not what he said. He said, go sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and come and follow me. There's always a way. The problem with the way that... proposing to us but nevertheless he will always make a way for us remember Naaman the man had leprosy and 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 he wanted to get rid of the leprosy and he went to the prophet Elijah and says man I need to get rid of my leprosy and Elijah heard from God and God told him go tell that man to dip in uh, uh, um, Jordan River seven times and when he dips seven times he will be clean when Elijah told Naaman what to do Naaman said oh no Oh, no, I'm a king. I got people that follow me. I got people that look up to me. He didn't see that. I'm just trying to paraphrase how he just came at it. And then Elijah was just like, okay, whatever, because I'm just telling you what my God told me. So if that's how you feel, good for you. Guess what? Leprosy was still on him. And then when he really, really realized, I need this leprosy to come off me, <laughs> then he went and dipped seven times in Jordan and came up. And what the, the Bible says, his, his skin was like brand new. So the bottom line is, God will always show us how to get out of our situation, how to overcome our situation. But it's going to be the way he tells us, not the way you want to do it. And that's where so many are stuck. Because they wanted him to tell them how to get out just the way they would like to get out. How they needed just to work the way they wanted to work. And God is saying, you ain't God, I'm God. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> just like that, no proper English. You ain't God, I'm God. It is important to note the order of this love. We love him because he first loved us. Mm-hmm. God's call to his people to love and obey him, always follow him first acting on their behalf. Watch this. Don't miss this. When God gave the Ten Commandments before he commanded the Israelites to do anything, he first said, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This is Exodus 20, verse 2. Out of out of the house of slavery. Here is what he's saying. He acted graciously and lovingly on their behalf in delivering them from the Egyptian slavery. Only after doing this and reminding them of his love did he command and says, you shall have no other gods before me. So what am I trying to tell you? That by the time God commands you or me to obey him, to keep his commandments, he's already shown us a whole lot of love. He's already, he's already done things for us that, that, that is just so great. 
So God never comes to you and says, well, I know I haven't done anything for you yet. I know I haven't shown you my power yet, but I still need you to obey me first. That's not the way he operates. The way he operates is by the time he gets to you and start commanding you to obey him, he's already shown his love towards you. So he's always uh, following his words by saying, we love him because he first loved us. So he's always showing us love before he asks us to show him back love. (laughs) So what does that mean? We shouldn't be hesitant to love him back. We shouldn't be hesitant. The obedience of love should come naturally to those who have received God's love in Christ. A love we see most clearly on the cross. Jesus loved us so much that he willingly sacrificed himself For us, he suffered for each of us, tasting death for everyone in bringing many sons and daughters to glory. He sacrificed all to save us because of love. What it says in John 15 and 13, the Bible says greater love had no man than this, that a man laid down his life for his friends. We are called to exalt Jesus and put him first through our loving obedience, allowing him to increase as we decrease. We need to remember that Jesus in his humanity first humbled himself in love. He decreased as a human by dying for us to free us from sin so that one day we can increase, receiving his spirit, being baptized in his name, and eventually one day we'll be caught up to meet him in the air when he returns for us. And so he's constantly showing us that as humans, we have to decrease. We need him to increase in our life. Paul wrote in in, in, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, he says, Who being... In the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. I'm reading a different version. But made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant and humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You know, this is one of my favorite uh, passages of scripture because it says that he made himself of no reputation. That always get me. That always get me. The creator of all things, the one who gave life, the one who created this universe. He made himself of no reputation and the people he created, he submitted his life to them, knowing that they would kill him. And he just says, it's all right, man, and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Because of his humble obedience in dying for us, God also had highly exalted him and giving him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Listen to me. I know we're always we we always have to be incentivized. That's just us as people for whatever that reason the reason is for that. But your incentive, just understand this. When he increase in your life and you decrease, it's for your own good. 
It's not for you to be belittled. It's not for you to be unnoticed. It's not for you to go through hard life. It's not for you to suffer. It's for your own good. Since he humbled himself and gave all for us, how can we not give all to him? In response to his love, we should bow our knees to him daily, confessing him as our Lord and Savior and seeking to live out the confession. I'm getting ready to finish up here. In that bowing of the knee to him, he increases in our lives and we decrease in self. So when we when we take the time to pray, uh, this is why prayer is not popular. Because if you sincerely pray to God, what's happening is he increases and you decrease. Because who are you praying to? And by you praying, what you're saying is, I can't do it. I don't have what it takes, but you do. So automatically, prayer is one powerful way of letting God increase in your life and you decreasing in your life. So one of the ways that God can increase and you decrease is by you praying. So if you want to really get that working in your life, if you want that change to take place, start praying and praying more and put your focus on him. And when you pray, don't tell him. When you pray, you ask or you just give yourself to him. But don't tell him because then you're not decreasing. You're still making yourself the big honcho and telling him what to do. And of course, he just won't do whatever you want, but I'm just telling you what it does. Having a focus on Christ and a loving obedience to him should come naturally for those of us who have received God's love. However, this does not mean that it comes effortlessly. It is easy to get so caught up in life and all its obligation and demand that our focus can rest on ourselves rather than Christ. We may even get caught up in doing things that are or appear to be entirely good for other people. Sometimes we can find ourselves doing things for other people and we call it good. We may become others focused rather than Christ focused. And then, of course, we still have a fallen nature that will continue to drive us to reassert our claim to be Lord of our own lives. The devil and our culture will strengthen that claim for us to be Lord of our lives. Worldly forces will encourage us every day to increase while Christ decreases. To encounter this daily pressure to focus on anything but Christ, our Lord has taught us to pray. So when you pray, he increase, you decrease. But specifically when you pray what you need to pray, Matthew 6 and 10, your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Let me give you a little clue. A lot of times when you hear in earth, you're thinking this earth. Well, guess what? You are made of earth as well. Your kingdom come, your will be done in me. Because I'm earth. I'm dirt. You're dirt. You're earth. So when you begin to pray, just don't pray anything. When you pray, he's increasing, you're decreasing. Pray and says, your kingdom come, your will be done in me, Lord. You're making him increase and you decrease. 
If we need to pray for our daily bread, we certainly need to remind ourselves that God's kingdom and will must first come in our life. God probably does not care much about what color I paint the walls of my house, what breed of dog I have, or whether I choose Thousand Island dressing or ranch dressing for my salad. But there are many aspects of our lives that do raise the issue of who will be Lord of your life. Here are some things you need to ask yourself who will be Lord of your life. What do we do? What do we think? What we say? How we spend our time? How we spend our money? How we treat people? How we respond when ill-treated? With whom we have relationships? Who we marry? How we treat other our spouse? How we raise our children? How we entertain ourselves? How we dress and adorn ourselves? What cares? What careers do we pursue? Those are things that we can begin to say, do God have authority, lordship, rulership over those things in my life? Or do I have control? Do I have lordship and rulership of those things? This is why we must pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. But in order to pray those prayers, guess what? We have to be spiritual minded and not carnal minded. We can't pray those prayers. It will not be in us to pray your kingdom come, your will be done in this vessel. We will always pray different prayers if we are not spiritual minded. When we give ourselves daily to prayer and reading his word. Oh, my God, church. If we don't start reading our Bible and really let it sink in, we can't be what God wants us to be. We need his word to be in us. If your word abide in me then I can ask whatever I will and you will do it. Because if you have the word of God in you, you will be asking God things according to his word, not according to your will, not according to your flesh. Uh huh. So we got to read his word daily and frequently to fasting and joining in worship with other believers. And as we open ourselves up to the transforming work of the spirit, Jesus will shape our thinking and our desires so that not only will we recognize that his ways and will are best, but we will also desire them to seek them. Giving ourselves daily to Jesus makes us a living sacrifice. Uh huh. He must increase, but I must decrease. Oftentimes we want Christ to increase in our life, but we don't want to decrease. And so I finish here. We started out talking about Andrew. Here we go. Andrew had wholeheartedly responded to John the Baptist's call to repent and to be ready for the arrival of the Messiah. He did not just get baptized, then go back to his life as usual, catching fish with his brother Simon. A fisherman, he remained but he became a disciple of John the Baptist. He was a true disciple and fully embraced John's teaching. John had frequently proclaimed that the Messiah, the Lamb of God, was to be uh, preferred when he shows up over him. 
When Andrew and other disciple with them heard John's word, they immediately follow after Jesus and stayed with him until he ascended to heaven. Andrew became a fully committed disciple, ready to win more disciples. If we're going to be disciples of Christ, we have to support him in reaching other people. He started with his big brother, Peter, Simon Peter. Andrew won his brother to the Lord. So we read about the apostle Peter, but guess what? He wasn't the one that came to Jesus. His brother Andrew was working that angle. We have found the Messiah is what Andrew said to Simon Peter. The one destined to be called Cephas did not hesitate and moved by Andrew's favor, followed his younger brother to meet Jesus. As he had quickly become a committed disciple of John earlier, he then forsook all to now follow Jesus's will. And for the rest of his life, Andrew decreased that Jesus might increase in his life. Early church tradition says Andrew tirelessly served as a missionary to the Greek world. And like his brother Peter, he paid the ultimate price and died a martyr, crucified on a Roman cross. Andrew decreased as far as he could. He had literally taken up his cross and in his death, he experienced the paradox of losing one's life for Christ. He found it. Life eternal in paradise. He must increase and I must decrease. Let's stand. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray, oh God, that you help us to now carry out your instructions. To begin to pray now according to your will. Your kingdom come. Your will be done in me. Oh God, we pray tonight that every word spoken here that, Lord God, you will confirm it with signs following as we obey you, as we, oh God, respond to your love. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you will help us tonight. And that, oh my God, this message, this, this, this teaching will bring change into our life. That, Lord, we will not be stagnated. That, Lord, we will not be complacent. But we will be who you call us to be. That we will go forth, Lord God, to fulfill ye our joy of fulfilling the call of God upon our life. I pray tonight, my God, that something different than any other time we have responded, heard the word of God, something different will happen within us that will truly transform us, that will truly take us to a place where we've never been in you. Father, I pray that you will strengthen us. I pray, almighty God, that we will not just be mere hearers of your word, but we will become doers as well of your word. Lord, as we go from this place tonight, will you bless us and bind us, Lord God, with your word, that your word will strengthen us, comfort us, take root in us, and grow and produce good fruit. 
Stir up your gift that's inside of us, Lord God. That, Lord, oh, Father, we will not be the same again. I pray, oh, God, that your presence, oh, God, will be evident in our lives and that we will be overcome by your presence and your power will rule and reign in us and through us. Lord, we want you to increase for we will decrease. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Father, in us, Oh, God, we want your will to be done. Help us tonight that as we go, oh, God, your peace, your joy will be upon us. Your goodness, your mercy will be upon us. Your presence, Lord God, will overwhelm us. For, God, we love you, we adore you, and we honor you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this time of being together. Lord, we pray that you got us home safely. In Jesus' name we pray. Somebody say, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Don't forget, invite someone to church Sunday that don't look like you, that's not from the same place you are from. Invite somebody to church and let them know that we want them to come and worship with us, either in person or virtually. Let them come to the 1030 service or the 9 a.m. service if they can make it. And let's see what the Lord will do. God bless you. Have a wonderful night. Every bird